Well, blessings to all of you. Um, we're in the middle of this uh, Transforming Life series. It's designed to get us all the way into to Easter, and it's a bit of a journey. I'm looking forward to just sharing, but I want to pray and, and just ask God to bless our time. And, and Lord, we've, you know, we, we've had a chance to, in a way, rejoice as a church, as a community, whether it's just kind of celebrating our children and the opportunity we have with such a wide um, range of people who are part of our church, especially our little ones, to be able to impart to them the life of faith in a, in a joyful environment. We're so blessed about that. We thank, thank you for tonight and all that's represented in this evening is as the people, the 15 or so that are getting baptized, step forward and, and they tell their stories. We celebrate with them. And we just are so grateful to have a, a place where we can do this. And I, I guess maybe, Lord, even sometimes I'm reminded of that even more when I think about some of the things that are going on in our world. I think about some of the, the, the chaos and the, the intensity of what's happening just in the Middle East, the land of the Bible. Just uh, so much violence, terror affects so many people. I can't help but thinking even in addition to all those, those who aren't even part of our faith. But I think about the 21 Egyptian Christians who were beheaded and I, our hearts, our prayers go out to the entire region and, and we identify, Lord, in some way with the suffering of those who have experienced such extraordinary pain while we are so blessed and relatively kept. So we just, we, we join in prayer and in our hearts and we ask, Lord, that it would make what we're doing even more significant because we, we don't just want to focus on ourselves. We want to remember that you were, you, were, you were calling us to places of transformation so that we might be a blessing as well. And help us to, to not live closed in, but with open eyes and extended hands. So I ask for your blessing. These words have great meaning for us. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord. So uh, transforming life. This is something we were approaching from a basically a threefold you know, angle, um, maybe three levels. We were talking about how we wanted the series to focus a lot on the transformation of John and his life, how John the Apostle starts out as this disciple of Jesus who was actually known for his temper and ends up becoming a man transformed. And we we're going to watch some of that happen along the way. And we also mentioned that Jesus, of course, transforms life. I mean, he literally does. He, he goes through the cross into the resurrection, and by giving his life, he creates new life. And by claiming life, essentially, he makes new life possible for all of us. He makes possible for us the transformed life, a life that has meaning here and beyond, and, and beyond this life, and all that that entails, undying life of God present and available because of his life. Then we also were thinking, well, what does that mean in terms of the, the way that God wants to transform our lives? So a lot of what we're looking at has to do with not just examining a piece of scripture um, that shows us something, an incident, an account, a story, something Jesus did, but it's also designed to get us thinking about our own lives. Again, as we mentioned, not just so that we can be better people. Yes, that's a that's a legitimate goal to improve, to have a better sense of who we are, a better self-understanding. We need that. But the goal is, of the Christian life is never about simply focusing on our, only ourselves. It's for ourselves to follow in the steps of the Jesus who modeled for us what it really means. He gave his life away. We too are to be a blesser. Blessings are meant to be given. And we are meant to get better to be a better blesser and to help others also know him and grow in love with him and to be a light, wherever we can be, a light in. Whether it's, okay, I can go on and on on this forever. I'll say this. You know, in my mind, when it comes to life transformation, it kind of happens in two primary ways. 
Um, I, I think of two, two things, two places where I notice that life transformation tends to occur, occur the most, life change. One of those places has to do with what I call dreaming places. Dreaming places are those seasons in our lives, those places when we come to, when we're kind of possessed, and some of us might be there right now, we're possessed by a kind of positive dissatisfaction. We have a yearning for something. We want to see something happen. We have a goal, a dream, we're pursuing something. In these places when we make up our minds that we want something better, when we're sort of seized by a hopefulness, it has an acute way of, of compelling us to be open to change and transformation and sometimes open to things that God can do in ways that we would have never have been before because something about it is calling us to places of faith and expansion. Now, those dreaming places, which are great places, are places where we find ourselves being, in a sense, invited to growth. And it takes steps of enlargement, sometimes even to push things away so that we might reach for better things. But there's another place of transformation. In my mind, it's the place where the most profound transformation in the life of God certainly tends to take place. And that's not in the dreaming places. That's certainly one option. But I'm talking about in the desperation places. And the desperation places are the places where we aren't trying to get to something. It's like we're trying to get out of something. And we feel so beaten, so, so discouraged, um, so defined by what it is we want out of that we're open to change at any level. And frequently that's a process of getting ourselves open. But I found that oftentimes that's the place where God can do the most significant, profound, um, deep soul level work, it's when we've been broken or when we're breaking. There's something about the broken jar that lets out the perfume or lets out the aroma. That's the, the, the ointment comes out in the brokenness. The life of God comes out in the brokenness of Christ. So we can't be afraid of these desperate places, but then again, nobody wants them. I don't. Inevitably, we live long enough, we'll have them. And so we're gonna look at this. We're gonna look at, we're gonna pick back up where we left off. Not everybody necessarily was here. But we're looking at an incident that occurs in the life of Jesus, a moment of healing that occurs at two different levels. And hopefully along the way, we'll learn some things about ourselves as well. So let's go back to Luke 8. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Luke 8, verse 40. So it was that when Jesus returned that the multitudes welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. It's the first verse in the handout there. And behold, there came a man. His name was Jairus. Um, he was a ruler, a leader in the synagogue, which meant he would have been a man of great importance, highly admired, powerful, someone recognized with a reputation. And he was making his way to Jesus with an intensity that could not be denied. He pushed his way through the crowd. People would have noticed some things about this man. First off, they probably murmured because everybody was interested in Jesus. A lot of controversy at this time was around Jesus. Some people were saying he's Messiah. He is the promised one. Others said, how can that be? Do you know where he was born? Do you know who his parents were? Others said, he doesn't have any letters. He hasn't been trained officially. He didn't come from Jerusalem. Others said, there's no question. He's a prophet sent from God. Others said, no, he's far more than that. Did you hear the words of the Baptist, John, who said, behold, he is the Lamb of God. He called him Messiah. So there was all this controversy. A lot of people were threatened by Jesus. In Jerusalem, they were very unsure about him. Jesus didn't fit the mold. He said things that were very unconventional. And um, honestly, if they, if they played themselves all the way out, it could undermine the power base. So Jesus was a threat. He was very controversial. A man like Jairus would have had some misgivings about freely interacting with Jesus. Wouldn't sure what to do with him. But what we know is 
Jairus was a desperate man. Why? We're told that. We're told that in verse 42, for he had an only daughter who was about 12 years old, and she was dying, and he had no hope. And so in his desperation, he threw convention aside. When he made his way through the crowd and people began to melt away as the, as the powerful man made his way through, as the respected man made his way through, again, with a kind of physicality that would have indicated that he was going to have a confrontation with Jesus. He was pushing fast. And when he gets, the feet of Je- gets towards Jesus, he does something that catches everybody off guard. Far from having a confrontation, the man so highly regarded throws himself at the feet of Jesus and starts groveling and begging. Will you please, please come to my house. My daughter is dying and I need you. You're the, basically, he had come to the conclusion that Jesus was a healer. Well, however controversial you wanted to call him, and he had no more options. And so he came to Jesus, and he begs, will you come with me to my house? And if you were to go to Mark's account, because the Gospels, when you layer them through, give us different little details. Mark gives us an interesting detail. Look at Mark 5, uh, 5.23. Can you notice the difference between Luke's account and Mark's? What does he say, Jairus? It tells us one additional layer of detail. He says, my little daughter is at the point of death. And he says, come and lay your hand on her, that she may be healed. The difference is, he believes two things. Here's the extent of his faith, and it's a good faith, but his, his faith is this. If I can get Jesus to my house before my daughter dies, and then if I, if I can allow him to be able to pray over her and touch her, then I believe she can be healed. So his conviction was, I have to get him there to physically touch her, and then it's possible she will be healed. Okay, so that's in his mind. So when he gets to Jesus, he asks him, will you come? Will you come? And to his absolute relief, Jesus agrees to do it. Now, there are people all around him, all around. They've been listening to this conversation. And and Jesus says, I will go with you to your house. And that is how... It must have felt like, like a, a, a spark of hope in Jairus was because that's what he envisioned. If I can get him there before she dies, it's possible she'll be healed. I believe she can be. So this is in his mind. So they start walking. That's so, so thank you, thank you. Yes, it, it, can we go now? Can we go now at this moment? She's dying. I need, if you can get there, can we go? Let's go. And Jesus agrees. As he's going, something happens. We're told what happens. Something stops Jesus. And, and when you read it, it's like, it's like you, you can tell, you know it for sure, that Jairus would not have been happy with it at all. Um, it would have been horrifying, quite honestly. Because Jesus stops, right? And then he says something that... <laughs> he says, who, t- who touched me? Now remember, he's surrounded by people. Everybody's jostling him. And Peter, we call Peter, we love Peter. He can't help himself. He says, Lord, what kind of question is that? Everybody's touching you. Why are you asking, like, who touched me? Jesus, I guess that's how I see it. Jesus says, you don't know. Something else happened here, Peter. No, someone touched me different. It's different, very, very different. And he turns around. And there was a woman, and we, were, we talked about this last week, the woman who's had the issue of blood. She had been 
for 12 years, we're told she had a disease, a blood disease. We're told that she had extinguished all of her wealth. Whatever money she had, she had used it trying to pursue different physicians with some type of a solution to her disease, but no one could help her. She eventually got to the point where she had no money. She's poor, she's destitute, she's weak. Her blood disease weakens you over that amount of time. She's got also become ostracized because people are afraid of her. We talked about all that, but you know when we read that, we go, oh, she spent all her livelihood on physicians. And we go, oh, that's, that's interesting. Went to a lot of doctors. We're looking at it out of our context. I mean, in that period of time, the medical understanding was so rudimentary, borderline, borderline on superstition, and certainly at times, almost, we, by our standards, we'd almost call it barbaric. The type of things that she would have suffered, I mean, it, it, think about it, that was true in medieval times, how much more true in ancient times. That the th she, what, what I'm saying is the things that she, the indignities, the suffering, the pain that she had endured to get healed, the, there's no way we can ever really totally appreciate it. But in her desperation, she believed that it was possible that if she could touch, again, interesting thing, huh? Both of them have a conviction about Jesus touching. She thinks in her mind, if she could just get a, a hold of the garment of Jesus, somehow in her mind she thinks, if I can touch him, if I can just get close enough to touch him, I can be healed. And so it says here that she, as, as she was, again, came from behind, look at verse 44, came from behind and she touched the hem of his garment. She grabbed a hold of it. And when she did, and again, people were all around her. She must have picked her moment. But when she did, she grabbed a hold of it. We kind of sat with what that would have been like in the dirt, grabbing hold of the hem of the garment. But immediately she felt power go through her body. And it was something that caught Jesus. And he said, who touched me? Right? And they also, well, everybody says, you know, no, someone. And then he turns around and he can see her. All right? And he sees her. And then he has this conversation. And as he's having that conversation, I can only imagine Jairus, right? Because what is he doing? He's, how do you, how do you, how do you interrupt the person that you need to help you? You cannot risk insulting him. But you can't stay in this moment. And what it must have seemed like forever. And then it says, Jesus turns around and he starts talking. Look, so he starts talking to her. He says, look, now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of everybody, here's why this happened. This is what's been happening to me. I just, I, 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 you know, she's just talking to Jesus. Jesus is interacting with her, right? By the time he's done, he's going, woman, woman, he says, her daughter, daughter, be of good cheer. Let your joy be full. Your faith has made you well. Go, go, go in the blessing of God. And, and it's, it's a beautiful moment. But Jairus is standing there. Now, I, you've been in places, so have I, where something can seem, something little, like, have you ever been in a situation where you're in such a hurry that a few seconds, seconds seems like this is taking forever? And Jairus is there, again, his daughter. Now listen, I have, some of you have, some of you, I, some of you have daughters. I have, I have four children. My wife and I have four children. Two of them are daughters, our, our second and our fourth. Um, they're, one's 20, one's 24 now. So, I mean, 25 and 20, that's the ages, 25 and 20. And... Uh, I found myself thinking back to this period when they were little. 
And I can't even imagine the idea of one of them being cut off before they had a chance to fly. And there's something unique about a relationship between a daughter and a father when it's working right. It's so beautiful, it's tender, special. This was his only daughter. He was desperate. And it's almost like he's saying, if you can hear him, this is what he'd be saying, if he's like you and me. I don't care about this woman. I don't care. Whatever her issue is, we have to be going. It's like when he stops to have this conversation and healing. It's like that was the worst possible thing. That, for him, that's a nightmare scenario. We got to go. I don't care. How can you say it? I don't care about you. I care about my daughter. We live in a world of competing needs. And while Jesus was yet talking, the scripture says, while he's having this conversation, another person comes, joins the crowd, and says to Jairus, don't, don't bother the teacher. She's dead. Like a dead bolt. Right? Door shut. She's dead. As he's speaking, those words come. Jesus turns and, and look what it says he answers. It says this. But when Jesus heard it, what did he hear? Because he was talking. What he heard, fascinating statement. He heard him and he answered him saying, do not be afraid. He turns to him and he says, listen, Jairus, do not be afraid. These are incredible words. Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Do not be afraid. Only believe she will be made well. Do you believe this? Those words seemed incredible. They, they seemed outrageous. What are, you ta- what are you talking about? How is it even? Oh, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Now watch what happens next. Will you walk with me? Now, I don't know how long a walk that was. I don't know how far away the house was. I'll tell you this. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was a, a walk of, of fear and trembling and a lot of questioning faith. Because there's nothing here that indicates that Jairus goes, oh, absolutely, she'll be made alive. <laughs> In fact, I think part of the reason Jesus says, do not be afraid, only believe, is because he knows it's incredible to believe it. Will you walk with me? Will you let me walk with you and watch what I will do? But they just said she's dead. Yeah, I'll walk. Yes. And look what it says happens. When Jesus heard it and he answered and said, and then when he came into the house, okay, there it is. He permitted no one to go in but Peter, James, and John. So he tells the rest of the group who had followed, this huge group that was now following, including the rest of his disciples. There's the inner circle, right? Peter, James, and John. John's part of our focus. They're allowed in. Who else? The mother, Jairus' wife, and Jairus are in. And then it says that he, the, when he walked into the room in the house, every, there's this, okay, try to imagine what's going on here. Everybody's weeping. Everybody's mourning for her, it says. And in the East, their way of grieving was diff- is different. There's a very expressive way of grieving. 
It's almost a way of honoring. It's still true today in the, in the, in the Middle East as well. It's like a way of honoring what has happened together. There is a, there, so Jesus walks into this environment where people are weeping and, and there's crying and there's loss. And there's expressive grieving going on. He walks into that room and he says, do not weep. Stop this. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And what does it say they did? They ridiculed him. They went from grieving. They, the, older version, the other version says they, they mocked him to scorn. What kind of crazy man are you? Of course she's dead. Who are you? What are you talking about? They, and they started mocking him. They started ridiculing Jesus. And what Jesus does next, look, it says that he, he says, all of you out. Get out. Get out of this house. And I see some of them turning to Jairus and Jairus, what are you going to let him do? Do what he says. There's nobody left in the house, just the three. Jairus, his wife, the daughter who's dead. Jesus walks over, and it's, it's great to, to read what he does, right? It says is it, is he then put them all outside, and then he, he took her. I can imagine him there. He takes her by the hand, and he said... Um, little one arise. Now, in Mark's version, if you read Mark's gospel, Mark quotes the original language that Jesus would have used. He quotes it in Aramaic. It's one of the few times that these words are put in. The original Bible is translated, was written in Greek, translated into our modern tongue. But the language of Jesus at times was the Aramaic, the language of the common folk. And what Jesus said, and it's recorded in this moment, that he got down and he took her hand and he said, Talitha kumi which means, little one, arise. Um, little lamb, arise. And, and I don't know, I, I was thinking, because it doesn't tell us, did he, did he whisper those words? Little one, arise. Or did, as some people think, he speak them out. Little one, arise. What we know is that his words went through the walls into wherever the spirit realm is, and pulled her back, and all of a sudden it says she arose, and, and, and then Jesus, Luke marks it because he's a physician, so he looks at the details a lot of times other people don't. He likes to mark healings and details of those healings. He says, and then what Jesus said is, she needs to eat. <laughs> she had a rough day, you know. <laughs> Feed her. The beautiful merging of the, of the you know, spiritual and the practical. Now, I, I, I had us look at that for a reason. Will we intersect that in our own lives? What can we learn? Here's one. Here's a couple of things. I just want to put this up. Okay, number one, real quick, and then we'll, we'll, hit with, we'll sit with this. Okay, you'll notice this. It's really hard to be happy, right, for someone else's blessing. Have you ever noticed this? <laughs> when we're struggling with our own desperations, it really is hard to be empathetic and compassionate. I, I totally identify with Jairus. It's like in that moment, he can't be, how can I be happy for her when your blessing is my loss? It's a really difficult place to be. It's a dark place to be. When we're hurting, when we're depressed or discouraged, or we're in our, if I'll call this, we're in our dark cave. And if we live long enough, we'll get there. Some of us got there early in life. A lot of us will find that certain things will trigger us, but every now and then we'll be in a dark cave. 
And in those places, bad things happen. It's hard to be happy for other people. It's like, I got nothing in my tank. Right? I got, I, I can't carry anything else. I got, I got nothing in there. I'm numb. Right? Those places are real places. It's hard to be happy. And you know what the irony is, though? According to Jesus, the way out of the cave oftentimes is in our willingness to bless. One of the best things we can ever do when we're stuck on ourselves is, is to, by faith, bless others even when we don't feel like it. And what it does is it, it begins to recreate a, a different type of momentum in our lives. It expands us. Sometimes it breaks us out of our desperate places. It's the choice to rejoice with others even in our wound. When you have something that I desire, when I choose by the grace of God to imperfectly but nonetheless bless you, I create openness in my life for God's goodness to flow in ways that would have not otherwise been possible. Oftentimes the keys to breakthrough are connected to how we operate in the dark places. And it's just a small little thing that sometimes opens up a huge possibility in our lives and breaks us out of there. I say that because these dark places, you know, I was reading about a man who was going through a midlife crisis. And he wrote a great book, or historically, it's noted as one of the great pieces of literature of all time. In Dante's Divine Comedy, he makes this statement about being in the dark place. And I asked him if they could put it up. There are different translations of it. This is from a 1938 translation. But he says, midway upon the course of this, our life, I, find my, I found myself within a gloom, dark wood for I had wandered from the path direct. Basically what he was saying was, I got way off course and I got stuck in a dark forest and I couldn't get out. Now again, a lot of times midlife, that 35 to 55 year place in life, it can happen anywhere along there. I know that, but it can happen at all of us at different times. If you've ever been in a despairing place, you've ever been in a dark place, ever been in a place where you feel absolutely crushed, beaten down. Um, you know, I've hiked a few times and gotten off course. It's been a few times where you lose the trail and the next thing you know you're stuck and you, ha you can't tell where you are. And you're in the middle of trees, you can't see your way out sometimes. It's a scary place to be. But what I liked about the translation also is it talked about not just darkness, because sometimes we can't see the light out of there, but talked about gloominess. And that to me speaks of despair. Have you ever been there? Hey, it's a hard place to be. Sometimes we're despairing about our situation. Sometimes we're despairing about our own inability, sometimes we're afraid. And then I think about those places, they're the fearful places. It, it really does lead me to the second point, which is this, that it's really hard to bring, to believe that God can bring good into a situation when we think that everything is lost, all right? It's, it's like when, when we feel that way, it's hard to believe that God can actually bring something good from it. I look at Jairus and he goes, Jairus must be thinking, there's no way anything good. It's done, it's over, it's finished. I'm finished, it's done, it didn't work. This lady, good for her. But she ruined any chance I had. Again, you know what's interesting is 12. For 12 years, this woman had dealt with a disease for 12 years. Those exact 12 years, Jairus had been given 12 years of blessing with his daughter. The same period. And now, think about that. 
Whatever joy, and again, I think about it in the context of my own and the joyful, unique relationship I have, how special it is. I can't even imagine having only the one and that. It's pain, pain. And when he's there, his 12 years had been, if we can see it, filled with joy that this, this girl brought to him, his daughter brought to him. And those same 12 years, she has experienced deep pain and anguish. And now all of a sudden she's healed, right? And what about me? My situation is so bad. And Jesus says, listen to me. And this brings us to the third piece that I think is the most important of the three. Is that there are going to be times when the Lord is going to ask us, right? He's going to, he's going to ask us to continue on our journey on the basis of a word that calls us to a place of faith. And again, I go back to this. What does he say? He says, do not be afraid. Now, why would he say that? Because he must have been looking at Jairus when he said it. And he must have been saying, there's fear all over the man. Do not, look at me. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. And in that moment, in that moment, he's challenging him to take a step, right? And to make a step of faith. Now, Jairus is, I don't think Jairus is going, oh, yeah, I just need to walk with Jesus in my diet. I think that he was tons. I don't even know how he made that. I think it was so hard to believe that it was even possible. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Will you, I'm not asking. I'm, will you walk with? Will you let me walk with you? And then watch what I can do. One step. Can you fall forward one step at a time? I, yes. I can Watch what I can do. There are some times, listen, where the Lord will challenge us to hold to a word and then to honor that word by faith. And he's not asking us to get there all at once. What he's saying is you hold to that word. Do not be afraid. Fears, fear will kill us. We fear ourselves. We fear our weakness. We fear what we may not be able to handle. We fear what others will say. We fear we won't make it. Do not be afraid. Believe, only believe. Walk with me. Watch what I will do. Watch the healing that I will do. Now, I get it. Not all healings happen the way we think. I get that. We live in a broken world. Some healings do happen. Some don't happen the way we thought they were going to happen. Some happen after delay. Some happen at the end of the day. But one way or another, transformation occurs when we walk with Jesus. And often, often we open up the possibilities for healing that would have never existed before. The step of faith. In your handout, I put um, a song. This is different than normal. Let me tell you why, because I want to ask you to approach it slightly differently. And to do that, we need to close in with a degree of intention. The, the song is designed to be a prayer. And here's what, how I'd like you to consider it, please. If there's something in our lives or someone that we are sensing we need we need God's help in it. We need to have faith for it. We need to welcome him into it. We have a journey to make, and it's fearful. But the Lord is inviting us to embrace it, hopefully, one step at a time. There's always a part of us like Jairus that will have a questioning faith. It's impossible not to have it. But God calls us to places of faith, to trust. Somewhere as we sing this song, after the, our time of giving, we'll, when we share it, 
I would like us to receive it like a closing prayer. And if some of you, it's somewhere along the way, you just feel like, Lord, I just open, I'm opening my hands to you. I just, I'm open to receive what it is that you want to pour into me in this moment. That third stanza there is very interesting because if you see it, one, two, three, he says, help, she says, the writer who's a poet, help my unbelief. And she says, oh, happy fault that gained for me the chance to know you, Lord. Now, what she's saying there, she's going back in time to a tradition in the, in the Christian church. That phrase, oh, happy fault, is actually in Latin, Felix culpa, oh, blessed fall, blessed fault, happy fault. It talks about how when humanity fell and sin entered into our race, as bad as that was, it created the possibility of God to glorious redeem us in Christ. And as bad as the wound was, even better was the gift to heal it. Oh, blessed fault. And I can't help but thinking there are things in our own lives where God says, we say, they're bad, they're not good, but God has grace even there that he longs to bring things to grow into us, things that expand us into who he wants us to be, how he wants us to see, oh, the beauty, if we will have the faith of the blessed fault. So I'm going to pray. We'll have our time of giving this song. We sit with it together as a closing prayer, okay? So Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to, to talk about you and to share our hearts together. And I pray that you would, you would bless this, these closing minutes and that we would not be in a hurry. We would still our souls as it were and be open to the things you want to say to us. Let us have an openness of heart. And I pray we invite you as best as we can into the fearful places, in the dark forest places. Some of us, we invite you into our dreams. Others, that's okay too. That's a good thing. Others of us are being asked to invite you into our desperation. That's okay. That's a good thing. The one who redeems and brings good. We ask you to bring that good even now. In Jesus' name we pray this, Lord. Amen and amen.